0: How can angels have sex? This is impossible. In our point, in our view, angels were something spiritual, not something who has a body and has the feeling of sex. But they had sex. Good I was in Egypt again. I was uh, before the Great Pyramid. I was just informed what they have done now with robots. New oh, shafts, new channels, new new, new uh, kind of things inside.
1: Okay, guys, welcome back to the Grimerica show. We are going to be chatting with the one and only Eric Von Daniken a little bit later. Uh, and we got our good old buddy, RPJ, back for the intro, which I'm sure a lot of you will be excited for. But well first, as always, gram. I sound stoned at three quarter speed. Dunlop. <laughs> I was going to mention that. It. How's it going? I was going to mention.
2: Good. I'm doing well. I have a sore sore tummy from laughing so hard in the studio. So at that that actually just leads me into these little intros that we do because we have a little rambling little session here before our like our real um, interview, like Eric Von Daniken's coming up, but. Red pill and and, uh, and Darren and I will ramble on for a bit, so there will be a timestamp in the in the show notes to skip ahead to the interview if you want. We had some feedback from a listener recently how he says he <laughs> listens to all the podcasts on one point five speed. That actually sounds sometimes a little better because we we sound like lazy, rambling Canadians sometimes.
3: Oh, but I, don't not, let's but, not talk about the Mexican who stammers a lot.
2: But don't listen at three-quarter speed. It's it's fucking hilarious. Oh, it, can you play it, something at three-quarter speed? Oh, I don't even think I want to. I was just laughing so hard. Please, please, please. I was crying. It was like... Pretty
1: please, please. It won't be as funny. I
2: almost now. sounded as stoned as Darren. Por favor.
1: <laughs> Let's see what we got here. Which episode? Let's go to... So,
2: yeah. Anyways, uh... Yeah, so we have this little rambling chat where we talk about uh, listener experiences and sometimes some some of the odd topic. Not really a lot of news kind of kind of stuff, but uh, just relevant topics and experiences, that type of stuff. Many pounds of hash I've ingested over the years. <laughs> I see it constantly, and it's not the first time I hear claims of it being energy. Or I'm <laughs> by some sandal-wearing yoga vegan. You know, the stereotypical new-ager. <laughs> A wink. Sandals right now. I'm not wearing my sandals right now. I don't have one. I do have thongs. <laughs> you probably figured out or someone told you by now, but I felt the urge to email you, partly because of synchros. I've had a shitload of synchronicities last year when me and my girlfriend had a rough time. And then our relationship ended, and the synchros almost stopped completely. What should I make of that, sincerely? Emil and Sweden. That's your proper pass fighting, with that one? No, it's not fighting with her. The synchro was telling you you're on the right. So Darren sounds normal at 1.5. <laughs> And I sound pretty stoned at three quarter.
1: <laughs> how lucky was it that the random spot I picked you were talking about just an hat
2: and a thong. Yeah. <laughs> yeah that was I good. love
1: it. Yeah. So there you have oh it, grandma three quarter.
2: So I've been dying to talk to you Rad, about the UFO Congress. Mm-hmm.
3: Well, how was it? What's, it was a really uh, enjoyable experience, even though I have to admit that I didn't really <laughs> experience a lot about the Congress. I mean, we only w- uh, went to, I don't know, two presentations, three at the most, two and a half, maybe. Mo- most of our time, we will, we spent it uh, when we were at the Waco uh, convention center we were like chatting around with people who we found at the vendor tables yeah people, yeah it was like, more
2: of uh, a social thing for you than uh, sitting in the presentations yeah
3: because to be honest uh we saw the the program and most of the presentations we didn't find it uh, uh, that interesting i mean i would have loved have uh, been able to catch up, uh, Nick, Nick Redfern, and our, our friend Chase Gletsky yeah give their presentations. But unfortunately, I think theirs were at the beginning of the uh, the congress, and we arrived uh, on Thursday. Uh, I we I arrived on Thursday night, and Friday we. Uh, barely uh, we spent most of our time elsewhere we, you know we were sightseeing and doing other stuff like for example uh greg f- took me to this really cool place called uh McAlpine's. it's uh, like a really weird combination of a uh, soda fountain uh, like an old style a classic soda fountain that you can find in I don't know, small-town America. Small-town America. Uh, and it's also a thrift store, right? With a lot of cool antiques. And, you know, this is a perfect opportunity to to talk about uh, an interesting synchronicity that happened uh, when we were there. Okay, wait for uh, it. Which jingle do you want? Well, uh, I don't know. The... Mm, I don't know it, it amazed me. <laughs> <laughs> nice, good.
2: Oh, what's going on with the jingle there? It sounds like he's in an
1: empty hall. Uh, it's like a uh,
2: It's like your cord is unplugged halfway.
3: You think that's what it is? Yeah, I think that's what it is. One day you should try playing those at three-quarter speed.
2: <laughs> <laughs> oh, that could have been that.
3: Huh? Is that better? Yeah, yeah. I think so. Now I can
2: listen
1: to it. Yeah. Jesus Christ, I'm no worse than Graham. <laughs> <installment> <laughs> <of> <laughs> That's pretty good, eh? Yeah. I could yeah. troubleshooting the there. Graham. Yeah. You should Graham. I should hope so by now.
2: Jiggle the handle. What was
1: wrong with right the <laughs> lights today?
3: So there you go, Red. All right. Let's, let's now discuss this interesting synchronicity that happened on our first day at Phoenix, Arizona. Uh, so Greg took me to this place, right? My Calpines. And uh, he had <clears throat> been there on a previous trips. <clears throat> he had found it uh, simply by Googling weird places in, in Phoenix. <laughs> and that was like at the top of the list. Ah. Oh it was really really worth our while you know i mean the the soda the the ice cream sodas were great um uh, the waitresses were also very good looking <laughs> and after we finished lunch we decided to stick around you know just to look look around at, at, at what they had at the uh, thrift store part of the of the business right so while Greg was looking at the, some, uh, some jewelry that they had exhibited there, you know he, he actually ended up buying a, a, a Navajo, turquoise, turquoise uh, ring. Uh, I was uh, looking at some uh, old furniture, and then my attention uh, ended up gravitating toward an, an old draughtsman table. Yeah. Right, yeah. like the kind of uh, tables that they used to have at pivot, archi-
1: right?
3: Yeah, the architect. Yeah, where you know architects and and engineers used to like uh, draw blueprints back in the day, way before AutoCAD and all that. Uh, and yeah. as you guys know, I'm an an interior designer by trade. So you could say that you know these. Uh, draftsma, draftsman table was in some way indirectly connected to what I do for a living so that's really one of the reasons why I ended up going and checking out this uh, cool antique draftsman table and on top of the draftsman table uh, there were a couple of books piled up and uh, these books were actually volumes from an old um, Encyclopedia, an air and space encyclopedia that was published in 1968. Uh, one thing that you guys uh, uh, need to know about me, and which you will find completely unsurprising, is that I love encyclopedias. Ever since I was a kid, my parents used, uh, actually uh, went through great efforts to, to buy several collections of encyclopedias encyclopedia britannica and, and several others for me and my sisters in order for us to 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 use them as tools for our homework assignments when we were at school right but the thing is that even though, even when i didn't have any homework to do i just loved to to read those encyclopedias anyway you know i mean call me weird call that explains me weird. a lot actually Yeah, that's what I did, you know? (laughs) And that's what I ended up checking out this cool air and space encyclopedia. And the thing is that the first uh, volume of this encyclopedia, I was browsing through the pages, and I actually managed to find uh, an article about unidentified, unidentified flying objects. Nice. Yeah. And it was interesting because it was uh, a, a good example of how the subject was treated much more different, differently back in those days. Yeah. It was pleasantly very neutral and very objective. Wow. This little article, you know, it, it presented the pros and cons uh, about uh, the extraterrestrial hypothesis in order to explain away uh, UFO sightings. Uh, and also the pros and cons of dismissing, of, of you know, the, the UFOs as only mis, misidentifications and whatnot. It actually had very cool uh, tips on how to try to record your observations, you know, like using uh, the angle of the... Uh, uh, like elevate, trying to... to to record the elevation of the the object and all of that using your thumb in order to try to to, to check out the, the relative size all the kind of things that uh, a field j- investigator would love to have if they were to report a UFO sighting yeah, right? it's
2: like all the stuff from the MUFON field
3: investigator manual yeah for sure for sure those are the kind of things that back in those days they were pr- pretty paying close attention to so I ended up uh, using my phone in order to to uh, take pictures of this article in retrospect I, I whoa, suppose that I sp- whoa, whoa 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 don't talk
1: about your dirty crimes here
3: that's not, well, that's not <laughs> a crime man I'm not like you know <laughs> stealing money from the publisher I mean this is an old book sounds like piracy uh, probably Copy, copyright analog, infringement. analog piracy instead of digital yeah. piracy Yeah, in retrospect, I should have bought, you know, at least that... Mr. (laughs) RPJ. But uh, let me finish the the, the anecdote. The thing is that I ended up calling Greg for him to check out this book. And he was the first to, to notice that the name of Jacques Ballet was mentioned. Uh, in this article, you know, uh, Jacques Vale and Hynek and, and all these people who have been in the field uh, for so many years. And this is where the synchronicity finally managed to come full circle because here we were in Phoenix, Arizona, <coughs> a, a, a city in the United States I had never been in on an express trip in order to go and try to meet Jacques Valet and actually have a private conversation with him. So I managed to find this old, dusty volume uh, from an encyclopedia sitting at, on top of a draftsman pa- table, something which is directly connected to my present, but with something that reminded me of my past, and in that book, there, in that volume, there was uh, a mention of the subject we were involved in, you know, the, re- the, the, the main reason for our trip. And not only that, but the person we were intended to meet in that trip was also present in that article. No, <laughs> so I, I think that's, that qualifies as a pretty, pretty good uh, synchronicity, all in all. Wonder how many UFO researchers were running around in 1968? It's a good question. It's a good question because uh, think about it. I think that this uh, encyclopedia was probably pub- uh, published before uh, the Condon Committee issued their their report, the one that ended up uh, giving the Air Force an excuse to uh, close Project Blue Book. Yeah. So I think this, this encyclopedia was kind of like before the the report, that report killed like whatever kind of uh, prestige the subject still had in mainstream media. You know, after that, all all the debunkers
2: had something to stand on. When I
1: type in 1960 UFO on Google, it it auto completes to 1960 UFO Minneapolis.
3: Really? Yeah. Huh. Interesting.
1: Where we all met.
3: Yeah. Oh, that's cool. Yeah.
1: That's going to hurt your score. <coughs> well, I just kind of <laughs> looked at uh, 1960 UFO. 68. Investigators. 60s. Yeah. Okay. But there's not nothing really that I can
3: cite. Yeah. Well, we know that Opera and NICAP were still. NICAP was there. Yeah. yeah. Opera was so there. was there, probably
1: too. 10. No. 20? 50. No, I don't know. I think it were hundreds of <laughs> hundreds. Oh, yeah. Yeah, sure. Okay, I'll give you 500.
2: This is coming off of, you know, the 50s. I'll give, it, I'll give you.
3: I'll give you. <sighs> it's a good question, that one that you're
1: So, is the encyclopedia here. a U? Is it U? Is it volume U? It
3: was volume it's one.
1: Volume one. Sure. Yeah. So, so, it was like a synopsis of each volume.
3: No, no, was, no. Uh, the the encyclopedia uh, dealt with several aspects of uh, air and space. Oh yeah, space exploration, air in aircraft technology, and all that. Uh, I, I I remember how I always loved to read about how jet engines worked and all that, and 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 seeing the cool pictures of. Uh, uh, military, you know, fighter jets.
2: SR-71 Blackbird, all that stuff. Cheer, okay. yeah,
3: for sure. Ready for it?
1: Yeah.
3: 8.3. Wow. Nice. Wow, that's a good score. I'll take that. I'll take that.
1: Oh, did you meet Jacques Vallée? <laughs> <laughs> yes, we did. Did you get your yes. private conversation?
3: Yes, we did. I mean, it we was didn't. a it's an short. If you didn't, I was taking it down to a six. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sure. It was a short conversation, not as uh, long as obviously would have we would have wanted to, but uh, uh, understandable given how everybody wanted to have a moment with him. Also, because he's a very reserved individual. But think about it. I mean, if, if Jacques Vallée is like a rock star in the, the ufology world uh, well journalists only tend to have like 15 to 18 minutes to interview a rock star so if, if from that consideration we uh, had it even better than if we were to you know have a chat with i don't know david bowie <laughs> yeah huh. david bowie's dead, man yeah, I guess it would have been a, a, kiss, a bit more difficult to have a chat with him, or maybe easier. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> or, or maybe easier. Yeah, that, mm. yeah. It's uh, you know, uh, being in the presence of uh, of uh, ballet was uh, very very surreal. You know, the whole trip. What did you talk about? Uh, what did you ask him? I couldn't ask him uh, a lot. Thing I, I I let uh, Greg. Um, uh, make most of the questions things that uh, he wants to keep private for his own reasons I did uh, compliment uh, Valet for the book Messengers of Deception which I told him was my probably my favorite UFO book I have, re- I have ever read because of the things that he uh, elaborated uh, uh, and on the second part of the book you know the first part, part obviously deals with the deception that is present in the UFO phenomenon, which is uh, uh, both uh, brought up by the phenomenon itself and also by uh, the governments who are uh, obfuscating the truth, if you want to believe that, or even, you know, if there are some groups who may may be in control of, of the phenomenon, Maybe those are the guys also bringing the deception. But to me, the reason why Messengers of Deception stands up above above most of the books is is because uh, Valet uses uh, the idea of synchronicities in order to try to elaborate this model of the universe in which uh, consciousness and information become the building blocks of reality and i don't know if you remember this uh, uh, uh darren but this is the thing that kind of sparked our friendship you know when we started to discuss these ideas at the mysterious universe comment section and talking about empty space and stuff too we're talking
1: yeah. about that stuff with jamie john over tonight nice same yeah. sort of stuff
3: yeah, yeah. Yeah, so we talk about. I, I mentioned him that, and then he said, "Oh, well, you should take a look at this uh, video uh, that is in my um, webpage. This uh, presentation that I gave to TEDx Brussels." And then I said, "Well, sir, I have I have watched that video like I don't know ten times." <laughs> nice. So, it wasn't really that nece- that necessary for me to watch it once again, but I kind of like wanted to tell him that that this is that is the avenue I want ufology to to, to take, you know, rather than keeping on with the old antics of uh, uh, cataloging sightings, you know, filling, filing cabinets with, you know, more more and more reports. You know, I think that's. Checking the correlation correlation between synchronicities, consciousness, information theory, uh, computer simulation and all that may yield better results And trying to figure out the true nature of this phenomenon.
1: Wow. Well, that's good. I'm glad you got to meet him. That made it worth the trip then?
3: Yeah. Well... that and well let me say this meeting ballet was cool as shit but having the chance to hang around with Greg Bishop oh, or, was that the first time you met Greg too yeah and that to me was uh, the thing that really made my while you know finally getting to to ha- have a, a chance to meet him in person that to me was the reason that I why I decided to make the trip. I mean, obviously Valet is like, you know, a hero to many people in, in this field, but Greg Bishop is uh, uh my personal hero in this field. And I I honestly feel that he deserves uh even more attention, more attention than the one he's received by now. And I feel also that He's going to eventually get it, thanks uh, partially partially by this book he's uh, managed to finally publish. Hmm. Uh, it defies language, you know. It's finally being released. You can now uh, or, or order a copy online uh, uh, on Lulu, and I think that very soon it will be available also on Amazon. And you can we'll even have, to have them on, yeah. Oh yeah for sure you can also uh, um, yeah i'll i'll ask him to to get in contact with you guys yeah so, well
2: come on come on with him just bring him on with you and yeah for sure think, we, Darren, we'll have a yeah, full absolutely.
3: Yeah. I, love yeah. I love that
2: so <clears throat> so did you guys what did you think of Jacques Vallée's presentation or, or was he actually did he do one or was he just uh it was more of a Q and A. Yeah, that's what I thought. Yeah, which Lee Spiegel, yeah, like that's what like. I Kind of
3: like they did with uh, the other dude there, right? Last yeah, year. exactly. Yeah, last year with between George Knapp and uh, what's the name? Yeah, the, Robert Lazar. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> was in that in that similar vein. Uh, I mean, it was interesting because uh, uh, Valet talked about. The book he co-authored with uh, Chris Obeck, Wonders in the Sky, they actually released a newer version of, of, of Wonders in the Sky, you know, like a collect, collector's edition, which were, they were uh, trying to kick a crowdfund uh, through Kickstarter. And thankfully, the, the crowdfunding campaign was successful. Uh, Greg and I actually managed to to secure uh, two copies for ourselves you know that I mean it was an expense I hadn't planned on making but you know I mean what the hell yeah. <laughs> It's the kind of, it's the kind of thing that you you can't really pass because if you do you'll regret it for the rest of your life. <laughs> right you know True. That. are you gonna see
1: Greg again at paramania or no? Oh yes, for sure. Twice. Yep. Are you going to Paramania? No. No. Oh. I was going to, but I. T- you should go to Paramania at three quarter speed. Yeah.
3: Paramania. That's bad. guys are not, are not coming. I mean, hopefully, this uh, event will be repeated either next year or something similar will be organized uh, next year, and maybe you guys will be able to. Attend that one.
2: Yeah, I'd like to for sure. I was really close to. Yeah, as well. I'm gonna it's just try and get the, and next the dollar's year. The pretty bad. It's
3: way more expensive to do that now. And oh well, I mean, yeah. These two trips that I ended up making this year were the probably the most reckless things I have ever done financially as an adult. <laughs> <laughs> but it'll I pay mean, It'll pay off for you. Hopefully, yeah. I mean. I don't. I don't even care. I mean, if it will, quote unquote, pay off uh, financially speaking, I just know that. I mean, it's kind of like a one, one, in a, once in a lifetime opportunity to finally have a chance to meet uh, uh, Tim Binal, Joshua Kachin, Cameron Kyle, yeah, yeah. Uh, and all these people who are gathering in this, yeah, event.
2: So, <clears throat> can I get back to a little bit about that? that you that uh, the consciousness aspect of UFOs and stuff like that. So you, yeah, sure. you, you were talking about, you know, Jack's book, messengers of deception and that this, the, you know, research should go down this route of more of synchronicities and consciousness. Mm-hmm. And, uh, it's kind of funny cause I've been de- t- emailing back and forth with Jason. This he's kind of a skeptical guy. I think he got sent our way through Micah Hanks or something like that. Uh-
3: cool Jason
2: Jason, Horsley no Jason Bradley I think his last name is
3: okay
1: giving out last names for your grant on someone
2: Uh, yeah no I'm not gonna (laughs) grant right now anyways uh you know we're talking about evidence and synchronicities and that we're just really pattern seeking humans are just pattern seeking and kind of explaining synchronicities in that way so how Hmm. can you explain a little bit more about how you would go about researching ufos as far as like consciousness related and because i mean i get stuck on the evidence thing because you know the skeptics argue that there's no evidence and i could argue the same thing that they don't pay attention to the evidence there's a lot of anecdotal evidence of course and it's there's all kinds of other evidence but Mm -hmm. you know we talked about seeking the answers and wanting to know the truth and and i was kind of saying like i don't really care about the truth in a lot of these respects, like the answer isn't as important because I don't think we can come to an answer. Like you can't yeah. measure the stuff using the scientific method a lot of times. And like, for example, if we look at my sighting, <laughs> it's something yeah. happened I'm and I don't know again. No, I don't want to <laughs> talk about it again, but just, I don't know what it was, right. It was a craft in the sky or what it looked like. Yeah. There's <laughs> Darren's laughing cause I'm getting into Reverse
1: it. Reverse right? Dota. spinning the opposite way.
2: Yeah. There's <laughs> m- multiple people seeing it. So I don't know what it was. It could have been this, I it could have see been that. Said he did. It could have been uh yeah, kind of, yeah. Consciousness consciousness yeah. was related. And but if I go back and I even get more data, or if I go back and add more information, that doesn't I don't think that answer is ever gonna come. So I've accepted that there's a mystery there and I don't know what the answer is. Yeah. It could be I like mean, five or six different things. Who knows, right?
3: And I think that the, the important thing about that sighting was not trying to elicit whether it was a structured craft or whether it was a secret a experiment. No, hallucination. No, no, no. The, to me, and I think uh, it, it's the same with you, the important thing is the impact that it had on your life. Exactly. Like,
2: That's what I kind of tried to explain as How it kind well. of
3: like influenced the path you ultimately took. I mean, we are here right now, this tonight, speaking through this amazing technology we that are enjoying in the 21st century because of that. And because of things that also, I, I don't know, what will probably happen in my life, which obviously not as dramatic as that, but obviously also influenced my path. And also Darren had his own sighting you know probably wasn't as influential you know, probably with him was more of a you know um, increasing kind of you know different elements that were ended up piling, up piling up piling up piling up until you know there was some kind of like I don't know momentum or some kind of like uh, ancient aliens yeah yeah, yeah like sure documentary sure. series yeah a critical mass ends, ends up uh, reaching in every one of us and it's different Uh, for each of us you know we all have our different individual path uh, to follow what what's really cool to me what's really i mean something that i keep thanking the universe or whomever is in charge of the universe every day is how all of these uh influences helped us converge into this uh moment in our lifetimes you know
2: yeah, but it's happening on fa- thousands of people as well, right? So we had, I had this experience and yeah. thousands of other people are having that experience as well. And to ignore the anecdotal evidence or or to just throw that because it can't be measured scientifically or because it's not repeatable or because there's no proof, because all this evidence doesn't equal proof. But there's such an amount of anecdotal evidence plus radar reports and trace amounts or whatever. There's other, you know, there's all kinds of other evidence to go with it but to th- just to just to discard that into this bucket that you're not going to look at that you're going to ignore it doesn't make sense to me
3: well and um, let me tell you something even though these kind of things that we're uh, discussing right now you know synchronicities and meaningful coincidences they get to be dismissed also by people in the field uh, uh i'll give you one example uh, one of the people we met at the conference was Stanton Friedman, who is arguably one of the most uh, famous ufologists living today. Right mm-hmm. on on that on that account alone, it was really interesting to finally uh, meet Stan in person. So here, there he was, you know, standing all alone on his table. And uh, one of the things that we did, Greg and I, were we were uh, carrying a lot of. Uh, swag that we decided to, to, to have made in order to promote the book It Defies Language uh, so Greg had all these bookmarks printed in Los Angeles and I even went and printed uh, uh, a couple of uh, posters you know like large format images of the cover, uh, or cover art that I designed for, designed for him for the, for the book so I, I I told Greg, you know, because I only had one of these posters left, and I said I, I said to him, I'm going to give one of these to stan friedman you know, just because. And I said, yeah, that's a good idea. So I went there, I introduced myself, and Stan was like, let me, <laughs> he really didn't like pay much attention to me. I gave him the, like the the. the the, the poster you know so I, I i i left him at the at the table and greg and i started to chat with him greg and he, and stan started to talk about bill moore because obviously uh, uh stan used to work with moore back in the day i mean stan was one he, the uncredited one of the uncredited uh, researchers that worked on this book about Roswell that Moore yeah. and Charles Berlitz wrote. That <coughs> I mean, that was the first uh, book about Roswell, the, the yeah. one that really started all this snowball effect about this, yeah. this case, right? The
2: 80s, I think, right? Or 70s? 70s yeah, that is yeah. 78. I
3: 60, guess. 78 yeah. yeah, 78. So uh, they started to talk about that, and then... Uh, Dan started to talk about how he ended up uh, finding uh, Jesse Marcel, right? You know, this serendipitous set of circumstances in which he ended up uh, being invited to this radio show because I think that the original guest had not managed to go. And so he went there in his place. And then... Some someone in the radio station say, oh, you should talk, about, you should talk to my, I don't know, cousin or something because he knows about UFOs and the cousin then told him, oh, you should talk about, with my uh, CB uh, ham radio friend because he knows a lot about UFOs and that radio friend actually uh, was Jesse Marcel June Jesse Marcel. Mm. And I told, I told Stan, well, Stan, that is a synchronicity in my book. I mean, if you think about it, that kind of uh, coincidence, in quotes, was the most important coincidence in modern ufology because you managed to find Jesse Marcel and start the conversation about Roswell. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. That. Yeah, so that's. But he didn't look it that way. He said, well, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I was prepared and I was really knowledgeable. So, I mean,. Uh, what was what he said? Mean, favor, favor, fortune favors the the, the 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 brave, or fortune favors the ones who are prepared, or something like that. Yeah. The, the, it, go ahead. He was very dismissive of that, and I get it because he's more of a he's he's still in the nuts and balls. Yeah, he doesn't want to come across like uh, you know too. Yeah, know. he kind of like dips in. He, he tends to tip his toes on in the high strangeness and the consciousness aspects from time to time and he says well yeah obviously these entities if they are more advanced than us then obviously they probably know more about things like telepathy and you know the, the soul reincarnation and all of that but he doesn't get further than that he's still in his antics of saying yeah Roswell and yeah and and, and abductions and yeah and all that I mean and I get it I mean I, I don't want Stan Friedman to change I mean I, I understand that he had a very important role to play in the field I mean one of the important role was that he was like the, the one who managed to get and confront all these nagging skeptics in these TV shows with Larry King on the like you know he was the one who could Stand his ground against I don't know Seth Shostak and Bill Nye. He wa that was his role, but he's probably not going to go further with this consciousness thing, which, in my opinion, is the will allow us to to look at the UFO phenomenon from a different perspective, probably a more all-encompassing perspective because we will be able to see the similarities between the phenomenon and other equally confounding uh, mysteries like, I don't know, uh, poltergeist activity, cryptozoology, uh, and uh, psychic phenomena, precognition, and I could go on and on. But the thing is that that's why I still uh, I, I think that Jacques Vallee, you know, with the things that he started to uh, investigate with Messengers of the Deception, really uh, pointed the way forward. You know, the problem is that most ufologists uh, have not paid attention. I mean, the, in fact, the last time that uh, Jacques Vallee was in a, a UFO public event, he was literally pulled out of the stage. No. Because, is, that you know, why, yeah. is that why he doesn't go anymore that much? That was, that's why, that's why he ended up, you know, like uh, leaving the field. Well, he didn't leave the field. I mean, he left, the public, he left the public aspect of the field. He kept doing what he does, you know, researching the, 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 the topics, uh, you know, in, uh, on his own. Hmm without like promoting or you know uh, going on the on stage or, or going to 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 the press or going to on radio shows to try to, to talk about what he's been discovering
2: yeah and he has other other interests as well right he's been on ted talking about other things consciousness i guess and stuff like that
3: right yeah he he's a venture capitalist you know he's uh uh, <laughs> ufology, I think, is not the way in which he makes a living. No. no. Which I think is <laughs> <in> ultimately <laughs> a good
2: thing. Yeah. I mean, no, well, there's yeah. not many that do. Of course. Regardless of what the skeptics say.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Speaking of UFOs.
4: All
2: right, this should, this should be a good one. So this is a profound UFO quote of the week. I don't know if I've heard this one before. I called the front end crew, the aircraft commander. And as I pressed the intercom button, I heard a conversation between the navigator, pilot, and co-pilot. They were obviously seeing something out of the front cockpit window of the aircraft.
1: Classic (laughs) Freudian slip.
2: And I think the remark at the time was, God damn, look at that thing. Go. Without telling the rest of the members of my crew because I did want, not want them to leave station, I put my assistants in charge and stepped out onto the corridor and looked out the window towards the front of the aircraft, which at this time was beginning its mission. Turn around from almost due south to a westerly course off the southern tip of Gotland Island and turning on a heading more or less towards Copenhagen. And at that time, I saw three bright glowing objects flying in a triangular formation. Our mission aircraft at the time was doing approximately 450 or 500 knots, and these appeared to be closing extremely rapidly on a parallel course to the aircraft. They appeared as round, glowing red fireballs. The nearest thing I can describe to it is an old-fashioned cook stove lid that's been overheated and it's just glowing red, or like something you'd seen on an anvil in a blacksmith shop. The glowing red of metal. Mm. The one thing that astounded me was the colossal speed. Even after compensating for our forward direction and they were moving in the opposite direction, paralleling the aircraft, they would appear on the horizon and it swept across my complete range of vision from the front of the aircraft to the rear and going over the horizon towards the Arctic regions. It was just a matter of two or three seconds. Wow. And just as I was sitting there, open mouthed, astonished watching. Oh, no, I lost it here.
1: You lost your spot in the yeah, monologue, the UFO the monologue.
2: <laughs> this <It> disappeared. Disappeared. <laughs> and just as I was sitting there open-mouthed, astonished, you your,
1: did you lose your page? Yeah.
2: <laughs> watching this phenomenon flash by, there on the horizon ap- appeared three more identical objects, and I watched no less than five or six groups of these things appear suddenly on the horizon at great speed past the aircraft and disappear into the Arctic regions near the near the rear of the aircraft. It was just incredible. I've never seen anything move like that in my life. That was George Lynn Guthrie, Master Sergeant, Crew Chief of Airborne Intelligence Crew, Russian Voice Intercept Processing Supervisor for the Air Force Security Service Command. Witnessed UFOs flying in a mission over the Baltic Sea in November 1970.
1: Huh. Nice. No, that was a nice really story.
2: That was a good one. Yeah. Eh? yeah. Oh. So so staying on that topic, I I just have a an email from a listener, uh, talking about uh, some of that stuff. There, we get some feedback every now and again, mm-hmm. and it's kind of UFO related. Aloha, Graham Americans. I want to say, like many before, have stated that I really love the show. I started listening about three months ago, around New Year, and I wish I had started sooner. Your UFO episodes are my favorite, if I say so myself. I always appreciate it when you throw the UFO question out there. My family has had some experiences, and myself. So far, only strange, some strange lights in the sky, but always awe-inspiring and a little freaky when they happen. And then he asks about uh, if we know about the quantum consciousness theory. He's a senior in Waldorf High School, and he did a paper on the subject that only scratched the surface of the theory. He says, I'm no quantum mechanic. Anyway, the theory is called orchestrated objective reduction by Stuart Hameroff and Sir Roger Penrose. I believe mm. they would make excellent people to have on the show. Also, I'm an advocate to the Waldorf schooling system. I've been through it since kindergarten, and I'm even thinking of becoming a teacher in the system one day. Something you don't hear from many high school seniors. So, yeah, thanks. He says, love the show, James.
3: You know, Hameroff and Penrose are the guys who came up with the uh, hypothesis about quantum consciousness that will be supported by these uh, microtubules structures in our uh, nerve cells, Hmm. which, according to Hameroff, would allow for, you, you know, like the collapse of the quantum wave function. Wow. Yeah, it's 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 an interesting idea. Not many people, uh, you know, especially not even people who support the non-local, local, non-local aspect of consciousness, support it. But I think it, it was uh, 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 something that kind of tried to uh, bridge the gap between the materialistic. Uh, a model of uh, of consciousness that, mm-hmm. consciousness that emerges, it's all in the brain that is all in the brain and trying to find a way to to see how a uh, unknown local uh, uh, like uh quantum form of consciousness could manifest through our uh, our uh, brain structures i guess
2: Wow, that gets back to what we were talking about tonight as well with Jamie Janover. I'm interested to see what you're going to hear, hear what you're going to say about that one, Red. He, he, he's, he's an emissary for um, Nassim Harriman's work on the resonance, resonance stuff. So they also get into well, like unified field u, theory. Yeah, unified field theory stuff and kind of, kind of the physics behind us being all connected.
3: Mm, yeah. I see.
2: Yeah, it's interesting. Hmm.
3: I've seen, I've seen, Hammerov before.
2: Before. <laughs> I've seen Hammer of before. I've seen Hammer before in documentaries, I think.
3: Oh yeah. He's given also the, the TED talks. Yeah. Yeah. We should look uh, that up. And Penrose is a fascinating individual because he's also <laughs> been involved with, um, uh, fractals. Super, superposition. No, no, no. Uh, geometric, uh, Geometric um, uh, No Like kind of like You know who uh, Escher is You know this This very famous uh, Illustrator You know who used to do All these like uh, Lithographs In which For example uh, uh, Putting an example here uh, Fishes go and transform Into 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 uh, birds, you know, yeah. and and they go around through different. And the, he also used to make all these kind of impossible uh, uh, drawings, like you know, like uh, with all these convoluted staircases and all that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, well, so Penrose used to do all uh, all these uh, mathematical impossible geometric uh, structures. So that's why I also I also found him uh, fascinating.
2: Hmm. interesting mm-hmm. check it out so we've got some uh, reviews here as well i want to thank people for reviewing the show it really mm-hmm. helps out there's uh, a couple here uh ellie red ellie reed and uh he's listening from or she is listening from spotify thank you very much and uh john oh jesus john mippy People just pick the craziest names for this. I'll be subscribing to help contribute.
1: Possibilianist genome. <laughs>
2: <laughs> okay, you got me. There was some reason behind that. He says, uh, I'll be subscribing to help continue keeping Grimerica ad-free. Thanks for satisfying my curiosities. And Domino7 says, these guys are open-minded and respectful. I appreciate the quality of the guests and the quality of the Actual audio, well done on all fronts. Mm. And then uh, DixieD621 says, great podcast that gives back to the fans. Get in on the giveaway, donate now. And they're talking about our little fundraiser for a new computer in the studio because our computer is about almost 10 years old and it's running out of juice. So we're trying to be proactive. I think it's
1: Steam. I think computers are on Steam. Yeah, not juice. This one does.
2: So we're raising money. We want to thank everybody so far that's donated. We're almost halfway there. Um, yeah. We're trying to raise like about just over two thousand bucks. I think it's one hundred twenty-five tickets, or one hundred twenty-five donations, um, or to June first, I guess, Hey, eh, Darren? June first, yeah. which, which is like a our three-year three-year anniversary. And uh, we're just getting. We need a new recording computer for the studio, and it's been really uh, good so far. So thanks to everybody for helping out. And the regular subscribers help out with our, our fixed expenses every month. Like, yeah,
1: we got a bunch of new subscribers, not a bunch, but a handful anyway, which oh, is good. promising.
2: Yeah. Yeah, because we don't have any ads and we don't have any portals or sponsors or nothing. It's just uh, listener supported fully.
1: Yeah, and we don't get as many donations as you think. Um, but our subscribers are there every month paying the bills and producing the show. And really, it's those people that uh, you guys can thank for the show. Still being around and doing so well. Yeah. And sending us room to grow and
2: sending in stories and
1: absolutely sharing, sharing the show is huge.
2: Yeah. Yeah. So sure,
1: sure. check out grammarica.ca slash upgrade. Um, that's going to give you all the details on the Grand America prize pack. It's an iPad. Come on the show. Swag pack. Uh, goamerica.ca slash support is where you'll find your different options for monthly subscriptions.
2: Yeah, come on the show with, with a guest too, right? Yeah, and pick a guest you and we'll, a we'll guest. get them on.
1: And RPJ will come too, right, Red? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, right just on. pimped them out.
2: There you go. <laughs> so, so Red, do you have so any support? Uh, even
1: a buck a month is cool. Um, what else? Newsletter, goamerica.ca slash news.
2: Yeah. On your iPhone, you have to type in the slash
1: news. Spamgram. Hopefully the app is coming soon.
2: Yeah, we're gonna have an app yeah, you think that
1: uh, A, Gram- a Gram- or It's in the <laughs> it's in the works, yeah. Wow.
2: So yeah, and spamgram is G R A H A M at dot com. And uh, Red, do you have anything else you want to talk mention before? Oh, you've got some uh yeah, you've been on some podcasts recently, right? And you you're kind of st- Kind of uh, starting up one with Adam, right?
3: Yeah, well, Adam has his, uh, this project of the Friends to Know uh, podcast in which I'm trying to participate as much as I possibly can. Unfortunately, I'm not going to be able to join him next Thursday, which is the night we chose to to record our sessions, but know we'll try to make it by. Also, I was recently invited to um, the podcast of... of uh, a colleague of mine at the Daily Grail, you know, he goes by the name Mickey. You know, he's uh, uh, an Australian guy, a really, a really uh, good uh, writer uh, and commentator about especially the subject of transhumanism. You know, so he's been uh, writing a lot of really thought provoking long pieces uh, on the Internet, huh. on, on, on the Daily Grail about, you know, uh transhumanism, you know, like what he sees as, uh, like the, uh, exit uh, you know, estra- the, the, strat- escape strategies, you know, of people, of, uh, the elite, you know, uh, like, like, uh, trying to escape this planet probably, or, or in order to, to, you know, escape, uh, uh, pardon the redundancy. Escape from from all the problems from this world, and so we had a, a really uh, good chat, uh, mainly about the topic of UFOs on his podcast, and he is on, on SoundCloud, right? I, I, I'll send you guys the link. Yeah, I'll put so, it. In, I'll put it in the
2: show notes for sure. Mm-hmm. Best so, devices
3: to get off SoundCloud. No, <laughs> really?
1: I heard. I heard that. Uh, People will be surprised if it's around a year from now. Okay. Wow. I heard it's coming to
3: we, an we, end. We we tried SoundCloud as well, and it just didn't just didn't really hit. But, Well, isn't uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson's podcast on SoundCloud? It's also on iTunes. No, no. Mm. then I see your point.
2: Yeah, but uh, so does he? Does he sort of correlate some of the transhumanism stuff with the secret space program and that kind of thing?
3: We. With- kind of talked about that you know the secret space program and all that uh, how our views and that we also spo- it's, uh, like the couple of nerds we always uh, spent a lot of time talking about uh, sci-fi movies we talked about batman versus superman no not <laughs> not really because it wasn't obviously uh, oh right, okay no premiere yeah. i went to see that uh, last week i i enjoyed it I don't know about you guys. Have you seen it? No, yeah. I, I'm gonna go soon. too. now. Yeah. No, okay. Well, I, nah. I, I, I'm I'm waiting to see you you guys your opinion because I want to talk to people who have already seen it. You well, know. Isn't
2: Wonder things. Woman in it? Oh yeah.
3: Well, then it'll be good. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm
2: still a little partial to Linda Carter, though.
3: But no, Gal Gadot as Wonder Woman will not disappoint you believe you me okay good you know what mean? i mean i i think that yeah i think uh, please go watch it and and if any listeners wants to give their you know opinion please share it with us what movie were you guys talking about uh man of steel actually oh huh. yeah because he uh, mickey saw it as an example of uh uh, ancient aliens being portrayed in, in modern culture, culture. And I and I see the reason because, well, without going into a lot of spoilers, it's the idea that the planet Krypton sent a lot of uh, space probes into different worlds and one of their ships crashed into our own planet like 20,000 years ago. And, yeah, I told him that uh, the reason what I... Uh, Enjoyed Man of Steel was not because of the ancient aliens angle, but because of the seeing how they portrayed Superman as an alien. Right? I mean, that's kind of like the the major spin on saying, okay, Superman will have a huge impact in our world, not only because he's like, you know, the the Man of Steel, you know, capable of like leaping. skyscrapers and all that and flying but because he is an alien and he will be the answer to the are we alone question yeah mm. that alone will be like a major blow into our you know uh paradigm nice well
1: done yeah well thanks mm-hmm. thanks red yeah, Thanks for good. joining us. Enjoy uh, enjoy the chat with Eric Bond. It was a fun
2: chat with Eric. Yeah, he was uh, very spry and it was great.
1: Oh, <laughs> well, yeah. I'm eager to listen to this one. <laughs> That's yeah. six in the
3: morning Yeah, on Easter, Good Friday.
1: Yeah. Okay, that was a sacrifice.
3: So that not that many bottles of wine, I guess. <laughs> well, it, was
1: three, it was 3 p.m. there.
3: Not, oh, yeah. had a long dude. weekend, so. yeah. Oh, well. That <laughs> yeah, was good. Right, he, he
2: talks a lot about, he gets into some of the modern UFO stuff as well now. So it's interesting. Oh. Yeah. Not, yeah. not super modern, but, you know, like that's not just the ancient alien stuff. So. Nice. Okay, right, guys. Enjoy okay, the chat you with it. Eric. von Daniken with us, and Eric pretty much started the ancient astronaut theory with his book in like 1968 called The Chariots of the Gods. Most of you have probably heard of him. Since then, he's read dozens of books, or he's written dozens of books, over, sold over like $65 million. In 1998, he co-founded AASRA, which is Archaeology, Astronautics, and SETI Research Association. He's a member of the Swiss and German Writers Association, and you've probably seen him on Ancient Aliens. And it's a pleasure to have you
0: here. Eric, thanks so much for coming on the show. Well, I'm sitting in Switzerland at the moment. It's a wonderful sunny day. I'm sitting in a mountain, clear sky and snow all around. Nice. That's beautiful. That's just the way I picture Switzerland. Our snow just
1: melted.
2: (laughs) (laughs) So, um, you know, I wanted to ask you about what's new, of course. But, I mean, so many, you know, we have a lot of listeners who are very open-minded and they probably, if they haven't seen ancient aliens and they haven't sort of delved into this stuff, they might not know about, about the genesis of this whole thing. So maybe we should just do a quick little recap of, of uh, the history and, and sort of how you came across this whole thing. Okay.
0: Look, I'm in the meantime 81 years old. When I was young, I was educated as a Catholic in a Swiss boarding school led by Jesuits. But of course, as a boy, I was a deep believer in God. By the way, I'm still a believer in God. Also, I don't know what God is. (laughs) But when I was young, God, for me, had to have some minimum qualities. For example, God makes no mistake. Or God does not need a vehicle in which to move around from point A to point B and so on. Now, in my boarding school, we had to make translations of part of the Bible from Latin to German and German to Greek. And there I learned a God, the one of the Old Testament, which uses vehicles to move around, which goes from point A to point B. He descends on the mountain with smoke and fire and trembling and loud noise and all these things. So I simply had doubts in my own uh, Catholic education, and I wanted to find out if other communities in antiquity have similar stories. Hmm. And that was the beginning of Chariots of the Gods.
2: Ah, I see. <laughs> And then that was quite popular when it came out. I, I mean, I remember it as a kid even. I don't know how I came across it, but, I, you know, I always remembered your name and that book, Chariots of the Gods. And, and now here we are, year, you know, decades later, and Ancient Alien, you know, the show and the theory has just exploded, right?
0: I mean, you must feel somewhat vindicated. Well, I mean, this is a worldwide phenomenon. You see more or less every one of us humans has been educated in some religions. For example, the Jewish community or the Muslim community or the Christian community. We all have a religious background somehow. And the background in the deep past for all the big religions is always the same. It has to do with God, descending, sending has to do with with Moses, with Abraham and so on. Now, as boys and girls, we learned it from a religious meaning. And now someone comes up picks up some of the same stories of the old religion and gives a new modern explanation. And this is a fascination. And this fascination goes on, on worldwide. Of course, you can interpret all these things in different ways. You can interpret, for example, the so-called visions of the prophet Ezekiel in the Bible in a religious way. Or you can report, uh, impo- uh, uh, translate it in a modern way, as I do it. Both ways are reasonable. It's a question of the future. Which of the reasonable uh, is more reasonable than the other one? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <clears throat> Interesting. Were you, were you surprised
2: at the at the popularity of this after all those, you know, all the
0: decades that you've worked on it? Well, first of all, I was always attacked and crushed down yeah. and debunked, and so and this went on for years and years. In the meantime, I have published forty books on the market, and I'm absolutely sure there is no doubt. This planet was visited by beings from outer space some thousands of years ago. And these visitors, they beheld themselves like uh, today's ethnologists would do. They, they studied a few tribes, learned a few languages, gave a few, uh, well, a few advisements. Finally, they departed again with the promise to return in the far future. And this promise of the returning of the God has become part of every culture, religious culture, of every religion until today. So, of course, when someone comes up with such ideas, you must be attacked. This is not the normal way of thinking. The normal people think, this is all crazy. So it's normal to be attacked. We live in a society, in a democratic society, and not in a dictatorship.
1: Well, at least not anymore. What um, <laughs> Do you think we're getting any closer to to that date today? Like, Is that something you think yes. is uh, 50 years away or 100 or...
0: Now, now, at the moment, I have the feeling and the information we are already under observation again. Someone is observing us from time to time. Even wise politicians or high military, they say, yes, there is something out there and and, uh, we cannot explain it. So at the moment, we are under observation, but they don't show up for the big public. They are very, very reasonable and very safe and helpful to us. They don't want to shock us. So they just observe us at the moment. But they are back. You see, 400 years ago, 450 years ago, when the first Christians went out to the world, all these missionaries, all these conquerors, For example, Francisco Pizarro, he was a Spanish man. He came for the first time to Peru, today's Peru. And there the Incas were living. And the Incas, they believed at the beginning that Francisco Pizarro is the long-awaited God who returned now. The same thing in Central America. Hernando Cortes, another Spanish, he came together with the Aztecs, the King Moctezuma. In the beginning, the Aztecs believed that finally the long-awaited gods have returned. The same thing in the South Sea with James Cook, etc., all over. That means the expectation of the return of somebody is not a Christian invention. That existed long time before Christianity. Uh, what do we have today? I am educated as a Christian. We Christians, we wait for the return of Jesus. But the Jewish society waits for the return of their Messiah, the Muslim society waits for the return of their Mahadi. Practically every living religion today still has this expectation that someone will return. And I'm afraid it will be neither Jesus, nor Buddha, nor Muhammad nor Mahadi, nor, nor Messiah. It will simply be extraterrestrials. Huh, and, and that's that, the situation we have today.
2: That's interesting because that's, you know, if you look at all the new age communities, or all the people that are sort of involved in so-called contact right now they're all it seems to me like they're saying that something's coming back as well
0: absolutely that's my opinion is that's why i am not shocked you know normal people when they would see extraterrestrials it would be a shock a shock for for mankind how is this possible how have they reached the distances of light years? What technology do they must have? Why do they look even similar to us? Is it not contradicting evolution? Why are they coming right now? Etc. Cetera, Etc. Cetera. Is our religion still right, or are we on the wrong path? All these things. So normally, the contact with extraterrestrials would create a shock among mankind. And I'm hopefully that the other part, the extraterrestrials. They know this. They know it would be a shock for us. That's why they treat us carefully. They don't shock us.
2: I I uh yeah, I agree. Um I watched your video, the you know, the Eric von Daniken legacy and, and it was refreshing to see you talking about um, you know, some modern UFO cases and and Fatima, the the whole miracle at Fatima and
0: Fatima is sensational. Yeah, and
2: <laughs> yeah. How, how that sort of it sort of you know, fits in with the the ancient astronaut theory. Like if there's some visitations going on now and then they have been for thousands of years, it's a little easier to accept if you accept the modern
0: UFO mystery as well. Of course. You see, I don't know if you're listening, uh, are but we are talking about Fatima. Fátima was in nineteen seventeen, so a long time ago. And Fatima is a little village in Portugal, mm-hmm. and of course Portugal is Catholic. And at that time, uh, three children had the so called vision of the, what they believe the Holy Mother, the Virgin Mary. And uh, this uh, the Holy Virgin Mary gave a message to one of the children, of the child. Uh, she was a, a girl with the name of Lucia. And the, Lucia gave this message to the Pope. And the Pope should publish it in the year 1960. And the Pope read the message together with other high priests, and he said, I, I cannot publish the message. It would create a panic. So it was not Holy Virgin Mary. If it would have been the Holy Virgin Mary, he could have published the message uh-huh. because the Holy Virgin Mary, according to the Catholic uh, tradition, is the, the mother of Jesus. So she knows what she's doing, but it was not the mother of Jesus. So they realized all oh, this. Something is wrong here. Even at that time, in October 1917, 80,000 persons were out in the field, in, in Fatima, watching. And 18,000 persons saw the so-called the, uh, the miracle of the sun. The sun, or a light, was descending to the 80,000 80, people, spending colors of red, b- 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 white, blue, orange, and so on. And all this went on for eight minutes. It was not just a hallucination. And then this light disappeared again after eight minutes. 80,000 people saw it in 1970. This is all crazy
2: stuff. (laughs) Yeah, that's a good example.
0: So you've been
1: uh, all over the world sort of looking at the different sites, and I was wondering, what do you suppose in, in all your research is the kind of the best evidence? The one thing, if you're pointing people who are kind of giving you a hard time about it, where do you yeah. think is the first place to, to point them to maybe give them an attitude adjustment?
0: Well, we have optical references, optical proof, that we have proof out of the holy writings. Now, optically, Americans just go to Mexico, and there is a Maya place with the name of Palenque. Palenque is a Maya city, an old city with pyramids. Yeah. One of the pyramids is called the Temple of Inscription. And there, under the Temple of Inscription, in the year 1952, they found... A, a tomb. The tomb was covered with a big stone slab. I mean, big, three me three point eighty meters long, two point twenty meters large. That's quite a big size. It's one block, nine ton of heavy weight, and on the block, an engraving, a chiselling. You see something like a a man sitting in a sort of capsule. He's bending forward, almost like a motorising cyclist. He uses his hands to manipulate some controls. He's sitting on a chair. The heel of his left foot is on a sort of pedal. And then behind him, you see something like a linking slam coming out. Now, this representation does definitely represent Pakal. Pakal was the second last ruler of this Maya city of Palenque. So far, so clear. In the past, Maya archaeologists have come up with 14 different explanations what this could be. They said, Pakal, the ruler, is falling into the open mouth of a mythological monster. He's dying. But out of his body, you see the cross of life or the tree of life, etc., etc. In the meantime, the newest translations made by Maya specialists, they say, yes it is pakal the second last ruler but it has nothing to do with the mythological monster nothing with that everything on this stone has to do with the universe or with the cosmos pakal is flying away from our planet in, out in the universe so optically this is very very impressive to see it and when you go in the old literature the best evidence definitely is the book of enoch But that's too complicated to explain here. You see, Enoch, Enoch was a prophet in the Old Testament. At the same time, he's the writer of a book. Nobody knows his book because it's not part of the Bible. The book of Enoch was found in an old library in Ethiopia. That's a
2: great. That's a great answer to Darren's question. Dar- Darren actually has a uh, what would you call this? It?
1: Like a leather. A leather print.
2: A leather print of that exact thing hanging in the studio here. So. I got it at Chichen Itza. Oh, wonderful! Yeah, he bought it okay. at Chichen Itza. So.
0: Oh, oh, you see the newest discovery in the Great Pyramid. You see, according to Egyptologists, by the way, I admire them all—wonderful personalities. <laughs> they think that the Great Pyramid was constructed by a pharaoh with the name of Cheops. Yeah. Cheops, that was around 2,500 BC. So from now on, about 4,500 years in the back. And the only proof for Cheops, what they had was an, a, a writing written in a red color in one of these uh, chambers. In the meantime, it turned out that this writing in red color is definitely falsified. It was made 150 years ago. So we have no proof for Cheops. There is no statue of Cheops, no tomb of Cheops, no sarcophagus of Cheops, just nothing. But there are old Arabian historians who have written 2,000 and 2000 and half years ago about this pyramid. And they say, for example, Ibrahim Abdul al Makrisi, they say the Great Pyramid was constructed before the Great Flood by a ruler with the name of Saurit. And they uh, precisely say Saurit is the same which the Hebrew community calls Enoch. Now, Enoch, again, we have the book of Enoch. Enoch was in contact with the extraterrestrials. He learned their language. He was a teacher of mankind, etc., etc. Now, in our time, I mean, the last year, more and more shafts and small rooms have been found in the pyramid and under the pyramid. We know them, they have been detected electronically. So if we know their situation, we know where they are, their location, you can ask, why is nobody going there? You cannot go in there. The shafts are so small, you see one side length has about 16 centimeters. So it's too small to climb in there. You need robots, modern, modern robots to go in there. And that what is going at the moment. So I expect practically every month that we find the books of Enoch in or under the Great Pyramid. Huh.
2: So, yeah, there's so much about the Great Pyramid and, and how it was built and what's what's found in there. And they, We were talking to one guest who was talking about the different types of stones used to maybe create more of an acoustical resonance in there. I mean, and now they're saying, there's some people that are saying, like, like you were saying there, the Arabian legends of it being older, like actually going back to probably before the ice age. Before maybe. the Great Flood.
1: Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Seems almost like commonplace. It's funny how much of these different uh, things we talk about start to align too, like we have Ra- Randall Carlson talking about evidence of Great Floods, and, um, you know, it's fu- just funny how a lot of the different yes, storylines seem <laughs> to correlate
0: Absolutely. You see, the story of the Great Flood is a worldwide story. We Christians, we learned it from the Bible, Mm -hmm. the story with Noah before the Great Flood. But I'm a specialist in mythology and in legend. I know the story of the Great Flood from at least 100 tribes and far away from each other, tribes in South America, Hmm. tribes on islands in the South Sea. They all know the story of the Great Flood, including philosophers 2,500 years ago, like Plato, Socrates, and all this. So it's, it's fascinating. There was something... Some thousands of years ago, we found ruins underwater, definitely covered by water, and not only in the Mediterranean Sea, also in the Pacific Ocean, also in the Atlantic Ocean. So there was a change, definitely, somewhere, a change in climate, a change in the water, and today, slowly and slowly, we can close up again.
2: Yeah, and people are starting to come out with the with the evidence that this happened faster than we thought. Like we exited the ice age a lot faster, and like North America where we are now in Calgary, we're under an, a mile of ice, and they're saying yeah. that that melted way faster than they thought. It wasn't over thousands of years; it was over maybe decades or even less than that. And that's what caused a lot of the a lot of the damage south of us. So yeah, it's it's interesting how this all this research is is starting to sort of push our civilization, our advanced culture, back a little farther than we thought. Uh, you know, I even saw some links on your website there to news items about, you know, man creating fire way back when, and uh, Easter Island not not being, uh, uh, the guys not being at war with each other from Easter Island, like everything seems to be changing right now, the, the history. That's good.
0: <laughs> I mean, there is also a lot of rubbish among the community, which is normal, always, when new day discoveries come on, a lot of rubbish exists too, but from my case, I definitely have enough of indications, clear indications, to prove that this planet was visited some thousands of years ago. You see, I'm aware some thousands of years ago, our forefathers were Stone Age people. Of course, they were afraid, for example, of natural catastrophes. They realized an earthquake. They could not know what is an earthquake. They see it's something with the the gods. Or they they saw the lightning coming down from the sky. Mm -hmm. They hear the thundering uh, next to it. And they could not understand it. So the first religions definitely were natural religions. Our Stone Age forefathers, they adored nature. They praised the sun and the moon. They were afraid of natural catastrophes and so on. But that's only half of the story. Because then, later, some extraterrestrials descended. They were called the gods again, and they also descended with smoke and fire and trembling loud noise and so. Now, how can you make a difference between natural catastrophe and these so-called gods? The so-called gods, the extraterrestrials, they were talking. They gave information and scientific information. For example, in the book of Enoch, one of the extraterrestrials says to the young, Enoch, now son of humans, look out there. Do you see this little light there? You humans, you call it moon, but the moon has no light. The moon has his light from the sun. And then he explained to him the different phases of the moon. Why is the moon sometimes half? Why is it full and so on? He explains them our calendar. So your planet surrounds your sun in 365 days, etc. So these are scientific information. An earthquake or a, a, a thundering does not give that sort of information. So we always have to differentiate between natural religions and the real extraterrestrials. Hmm.
2: I think that that the ancient alien uh, theorists, let's say, have taken, you know, a lot of flack and it's unfair to me in a way just saying that that uh, that you guys have taken away the uh the ingenuity yeah the ingenuity of ancient man and you sort of put it all onto aliens and I don't think that that's really fair, but that it seems like that's the main one of the main attacks like they don't recognize uh, yeah, how advanced we really
0: were back then. So what do you, what's your sort of comeback to that? Is yeah. it the attack is wrong? They always tell us that we believe that our ancestor did not make these uh, gigantic buildings pyramids and so on we say the extraterrestrials made it that's rubbish it was always the humans who constructed for example the pyramids the gigantic temples it was always the humans the extraterrestrials never made their hands dirty the question is why did the humans made it and with what technology now the natural answer is why the humans did it for the gods What kind of gods? Well, the gods that we had before in natural, earthquake, lightning, and so on. That's not true because for natural catastrophes, you do not construct gigantic buildings, temples, statues, and so on. They were adoring the gods. Now I said the gods made it. Great pyramid, as I said before, some Arabian uh, historians say it was made by Enoch. Enoch was in contact with the extraterrestrials. Now I think, the dirty work, the handiwork, really the humans made, but the engineering work with all these shafts yeah. and tunnels, and the engineering work came from the extraterrestrials, maybe even some tools to make it easier. But the dirty work, work itself, we did it.
2: Yeah, I, I kind of figured that. It's funny how they, they'll, just, they'll just run with that, that meme, and that's like their main attack is uh, you know, us not giving humans enough
0: credit. Yeah, you see, whenever I have critics on my desk, and I love critics, by the way, especially (laughs) scientific critics, when we are fair to each other, when we do not lie to each other, when we do not bluff, we simply let speak each one to the end. After two or three hours, I always learned something from the critics, and the other side always tell me, Mr. Van Däniken, we didn't know that. We didn't have that information. We hear it for the first time. So we always find a way together. We just have to discuss so what do you think about uh, the, the
2: UFO phenomenon in the modern day here? Do you think it's uh, do, do you subscribe to the, the theory?: yeah. that Because since we, since we created nuclear uh, nuclear bombs in, uh, in, the, in the '40s, that it it's really started increasing because of the possible
0: you know damage that we can do now? Until about 10 years ago, I was against UFOs. I have never uh, written in my books about UFOs. I always found it nonsense. There was too many speculations, too much much nonsense in there. But in the meantime, in the last 10 years, I had to change my mind simply because I met wonderful people, high-qualified people. For example, I met personally many times Professor Dr. John Mack. John Mack has published a book about abductions, and he's a very serious man, Harvard professor. Or I met some uh, high politicians, you know, like uh, your governor, Five Simington from Arizona. And he clearly says, yes, we had this sighting. And he was, Five Simington was before he was a uh, politician. He was a a fighter, airport, uh, aircraft fighter. He said, I clearly can differentiate between our technology, what we have, and a technology which is not from this earth. So more and more personalities, I had to change to talk to them. That's why I have to change my mind. Yeah. In the meantime, I think, yes, there is something out there. We are under observation. Hmm. What about your own personal experiences?
2: Have you had any, any sort of uh, either, <laughs> either religious or spiritual experiences? or No, UFO I, I would love
0: to, but I, I never had. I, I had some wonderful dreams, yes, but that's only dreams. In reality, I never saw a UFO. Hmm. It's you... a shame. They always fly away when I show up. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Graham, too. Yeah. <laughs> Did you um? Do you give any thought to the fact that these uh, things could be maybe interdimensional or maybe terrestrial in some way, uh, uh, anything like that, or is it well, uh, from a different uh, universe or, or sorry, yeah, a different we, planet?
0: Yeah, we really don't know. In Earth, no, there is no whole Earth. I don't believe of this uh, idea. But other dimension, that's quite possible. We don't know how many dimensions exist. Even astronomy doesn't know it. We don't know uh, how they move, how they move from star to star or from one reality into the other. We have no idea. All what we can say because we can film it, photograph it, we have it in radar. There is something here which is not from our technology, not from our planet. Where it comes from, no answer. Hmm. Do you think of that- course, some of these UFO people, they say that they had contact with them. There are UFO uh, sightings which the people had discussions with them, and they asked them, where do you come from? And in all these discussions, they never said we came from another dimension. or They always said we came from another solar system. Mm-hmm. The same thing, by the way, in the deep past, and concerning the past thousands of years ago, I am the specialist, up there, some humans have asked them, where do you come from? And in none of the case, they said, for example, we came from Atlantis or we came from another continent. They always point to the stars. We came from there. Yeah, that's a good point, actually. Have
1: you, uh, have you done any research into the Paracas skulls? About what? The Paracas skulls. They're the Paracas.
0: In- yeah. Aha! you need a Paracas. Yes, of course. You see, this is a phenomenon which not only is in Paracas. Paracas is in Peru, south of Lima about 150 kilometers away from Nazca, with these funny lines in the desert. Mm-hmm. There you have an elongated head, but you don't, you don't have it only there. You find it worldwide. This is a worldwide phenomenon in ancient Egypt, in ancient Asia, in, in, everywhere. And the question is always, why at the hell did humans make these gigantic elongated heads? Now they said they did it, Uh, to copy, to to become more beauty. Or the young man who grows up had to become a priest with an elongated head. I think this is all not true. They did it, our ancestors, because they saw the so-called gods, the extraterrestrials. They had a longer head as we, and they wanted to copy it. There are pictures of these elongated heads in in ancient uh, writings, ancient books. For example, in Egypt, you find them. Hmm. So they were there they had elongated head. and the humans simply wanted to be or to look like them that's why they start to copy it worldwide who do you think
1: uh who do you think uh, are some of the best uh people coming up sort of taking up the torch
0: well uh, worldwide i know a lot of wonderful personalities who deal with all this you know in the united states Giorgio, or charcho George or tuscolos from the series ancient aliens mm-hmm. He's brilliant. We are friends since he was a child. He grew up in, in Switzerland. And we have this international organization, this uh, International Society, or a society to explore the extraterrestrials in the past. And we have about 8,000 members only in the German speaking world. And among these 8,000 members are at least 10% top scientists, mm. very good uh, personalities. So this story will never end, even if I die. It, it continues, it continues. I am Eric von Daniken, not the only author who writes about this subject. In the meantime, worldwide, we have about twenty different authors. and Some of them are pretty good; they make good research. So, this will continue, and you cannot stop it anymore.
2: <laughs> do you think that? Uh, do you think that it's really going to start opening up? Like, I mean, Europe's going through a pretty tough time right now, um, and North. But you guys seem more open to this than us in, in North America. Like, we seem sort of a little bit closed-minded. Like you mentioned, all the scientists involved. Uh, and I feel like there's not as much dogma against this stuff in Europe.
0: Uh, yeah, but now in, in Europe, we still have the same thinking as you. You see, the scientific community, always they want to be to be, uh, uh, reasonable. A Scientists want to be reasonable. Now, for example, you have a TV uh, station or you have a newspaper magazine or whatever, Everything has an owner. The TV stations is owned by some party, political party or rich family, whatever, or the news magazine has an owner behind it. So, and all these owners, they want to be reasonable too. So the reasonable people, the scientists say, you cannot reach the distances from one star to the other because these are measured in light years, and there is no technology to do this. So this is reasonable. Now, a, a journalist cannot come up in his magazine or in his television show, with a serious, reasonable UFO case, because this seems unreasonable. And the owner of the stadium, of the state, or of the newspaper, they want to be reasonable too. They say, we cannot use this uh, editor-in-chief anymore. He's an idiot. He's telling unreasonable stuff. So we are fighting, be it in Europe, or be it in the United States, against a certain uh, dogmatic view, the so-called reasonability. And in some cases, when we have good information, indication, we should become a little unreasonable. That's what I'm doing. (laughs) I show some indication and say, come on, watch at this neutrally. We don't have to be my my opinion. Look at this uh, information with another point of view. It's a little unreasonable, and you will come to another result. And that's what we should do, be it in the United States or in Europe. Hmm. It almost seems
1: like that's the case with all the sciences these days, or at least most of them.
0: Yes, absolutely. This is sometimes it's terrible. You fight uh, against the wall, and the other side mostly does not even listen. They don't want to know it. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, it's they come on. Don't start with UFOs. I don't want to hear it. They are not open-minded. But this will change definitely. It's always a question of the generation. And there is a new generation growing up, and they have uh, because of the films and the TV series, they know more about extraterrestrial. About this possibility than the generations of our fathers, so it will change. Yeah, hopefully it doesn't take too long. So before no 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 we we are fighting on it, and we have more and more indications to present.
2: Yeah, before we run out of time here, what what are what are you up to these days? Like, what's what are your plans for the future, and what have you been researching lately?
0: I just uh, was in Egypt again. I was uh, before the Great Pyramid. I was just informed what they have done now with robots, new shafts new channels new 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 uh, kind of things inside really? but this you have to show on a picture i myself by the way uh, in the next 10 days from april 5th to 7th i will be at the annual ozark mountain wow. conference in eureka springs in arkansas that's okay yeah that's and great. from june 3rd to 6th i'm again in contact in the desert in joshua tree oh. so i'm in the united states in the next two weeks so that's a and lot by of the way, my is speeches, too. my speeches are full of pictures. You see incredible pictorial evidence. When when is the uh, Joshua Tree
2: one that's coming up soon?
0: The Joshua Tree is way down I, oh, I, I think it's June. Right? It's starting June, June third to June sixth. Nice, nice. Joshua yeah. Tree contact in the desert. Maybe yeah, we'll and that's in California somewhere. About, <laughs> yeah,
2: or, or where, where are you located? <laughs> we're in Calgary, uh, Alberta. So we're just north. of... Uh, we're a couple days drive from there, I guess. Well, when you have nothing to do, come down, and yeah. you'll be meeting persons. Yeah, exactly. yeah. So, what kind of stuff do you pre- present then? In in the, like, do you are you? I have now. I have one uh, last
0: speak, which goes on for about one and a half hour. Yeah, and then I have the two so called workshop, where we go into details. Oh, nice. You know, I, I show you all this uh, uh, pictorial and electronic evidence inside the pyramid. I have all these pictures and these measurements. I can show it all, uh, we detail, discuss it in detail. Or oh, you remember the prophet Ezekiel in the, in the Bible. Ezekiel, uh, according to uh, the religious teacher, he had a vision, but according to me, he had not, not the vision, he saw an extraterrestrial <laughs> spaceship. Yeah. Now, of course, we made a computer animation, and uh, this is baffling. You see these pictures, this is incredible. The modern explanation makes more sense than yesterday's explanation. Yeah. Or we have in all of the holy texts, we have figures like angels. What is an angel? An angel is a figure has two wings. He has a helmet or a halo. He's a messenger. Now change the word angel and uh, put instead of angel, use the word extraterrestrials. Or in the past, we had different figures which were taken into the heavens. What is the heavens? When I was a boy, I was teaching, the heavens is the place of absolute happiness after that, you are very close together with God. You are always happy. But if heaven would be the the, the place of happiness, then there would be no war in heaven. But in every mythology, even in our Jewish-Christian tradition, there is first a war in heaven. Maybe you remember there was an archangel with the name of Lucifer, with his disciples. He went to the throne of the Almighty God and he said, "We don't serve you anymore." And then the Almighty God sent the Archangel Michael to destroy Lucifer and disciples to put them out of the heaven. So if heaven would have been a place of happiness, an opposition or a war is impossible there. So we should change the word of heaven into space. These beings in the past, they were not into the heaven, they were into space and they came back to earth. So we just have to change about 10 words in the old holy writings, 10 words with modern meanings and the meaning is completely different. Huh. The sense is completely different. So these kind of games I'm doing with the listeners in uh, Joshua Tree, you know, in the contact nice. in the desert in these, in these workshops.
2: And are, are you guys always coming up with new evidence as well or new new things from ancient sites oh, yes. and archaeology? Like yeah, you're that's you're never-ending that's, story.
0: Still stuff is being the, discovered all the time? Yeah, all the time. There's always new material coming out which has not been published. And I'm in the center of it, so I'm... I'm a researcher, and I fly there.
2: Okay. Oh, that's good. So how can people keep up with that, with that research? They can go to your website. and, and That's
0: and, the best thing. Yeah, go to my website. I, I don't even know the, the, the figure of my website, but you'll find it. Eric Von Daniken is there.
2: Yeah, I think it's ericvondaniken.com, <laughs> and then you can get to your AASRA okay. from there, all the latest news and all that kind of stuff.
0: It's great. Gentlemen, I have to stop here because I have to run away. In All right. Well, but I hope sooner or later we will meet together. Yes, enjoy at the, some of the conferences. You bet. Enjoy the enjoy your day and enjoy your
2: trip. And we to have a glass of wine together United somewhere. States.
1: All right. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Okay. Have a good weekend.
0: Thanks, Eric. Thank you for okay. calling me. You're bye. Welcome. Bye. Bye-bye. Ciao. Bye. Bye. Ciao.
1: And that was Eric von Daniken, who, of course, we did meet yeah well in minneapolis we didn't want to bring it up because it's kind of a touchy subject oh well yeah we won't get into that but (laughs) we didn't want to bring it up we didn't want to bring back any bad memories
2: yeah that was a great chat yeah it's interesting i i don't know it's i wonder what a couple years will bring with more and more of this research and more and more people interested in it
1: yeah i read chariots of the gods really yeah
2: when was that like a, a while ago? Or? Five years ago. Really, eh? Yeah.
1: Five or six years ago. This
2: is kind of what kicked you off into this yeah, whole really thing, is. right? It's really what kicked off this podcast was that conference where we saw Eric and...
1: Yeah. yeah. He really plays more of a pivotal role around the whole thing then, because it was his book and then he was the person we I... We, we were going to Minneapolis... Wow, that's the person who, oh, right. I was going to Minneapolis to see, which... Fucking two months later, we had a website. Six months later, we had a podcast. So
2: yeah, that was like the
1: Genesis, Eric and Chariots. Hmm. When they write the Grammarica Bible, that'll be Genesis.
2: That's interesting. I wonder Gram's cult. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, he was uh, he was a faster talker than I expected. That was great. We got a lot
1: of a lot
2: of information there. Holy, yeah,
1: he really packed it in. Yeah, it is really. uh, He does a good job visually, so it is worth checking out. Um. Some of it, some of it can be kind of a stretch, but some of it, uh, some of it's hard to deny mm-hmm. that something's going on there. Yeah, and of course, uh, maybe we'll tell Napoleon to incorporate. I'll send him a picture of that. Uh,
2: that thing that you got there, yeah, that leather. Cthulhu
1: or whatever. Yeah. it is. the fine dude. I'll send that to Napoleon and get him to incorporate it in the episode art, so that you can just look at your iPhone right now and probably look at it or your Android.
2: Some of those things you are tough. There's so much going that. on. There's so much going on in that picture, right? That you know, you could you could almost say that there's that's a snake. Pedal, there's a snake the, there the, the, as well. That's
1: the gas pedal.
2: What? And then it's look like, at the snake though. though right? Couldn't the, couldn't the snake be some sort of archetype from psychedelics? And he could be like. You know, going from one level of consciousness to the other, not necessarily Earth to space or... Who knows? Yeah.
1: Anyway, take a look at your phone and you might see what we're talking about.
2: What were you saying about the art?
1: i said say not a lot of shows do that. What, specific art? The specific art that pops up on your player for the episode. Big thanks to yeah. Napoleon for that. Yeah. His link's in the uh, show notes. Big thanks to Justin for doing the newsletter. Big, Big thanks, thanks to-, to Darnell for doing the website. Big thanks to Graham being a dick.
2: <laughs> big thanks to Eric Von Daniken for coming on.
1: <laughs> oh Yeah, big thanks to everyone who's bought tickets for the Grand America upgrade so far, or not bought tickets, but donated to the cause and got a ticket in return. Um, we're about a third of the way there, so uh, yeah, keep them coming. Big thanks to the people. And if you haven't got uh, one yet, get yours now. Yeah, we do
2: need a new computer, seriously, before this one
1: crashes. Anytime, this fucker could go down any time. Check that out, grahamerica.ca slash upgrade. Uh, check out grahamerica.ca slash support and get on a monthly support plan. Uh, spam Graham over at...
2: G-R-A-H-A-M uh, At, <laughs> <laughs> at grahamerica.com.
1: There you have it.
2: Maybe graham.com is still open.
1: And uh, more important than anything, tell your friends about this show. Thanks for listening, guys. And we will see you next week.
4: contend that we have been visited by extraterrestrials in the past. Why did they come here and what did they do? rambling ground with synchronicities all over the web and Aaron is skeptical about everyone and don't believe it yet.